Hello, welcome to the Blue Grid podcast. This is your host, Major Ani Fedotova, a psychologist at Los Angeles Air Force Base. What makes us resilient? What is grit? Please join me as I set out to discover how we can become grittier. This podcast features current and former military leaders, mental health experts, elite athletes, veterans, special operators, superior performers, POWs, and others affiliated with the military who have overcome significant adversity. Each guest will discuss the unique methods and practices to help airmen and really all service members or anyone interested to build mental toughness and grit. The views expressed are those of the author or guests and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the United States Air Force, the Department of Defense, or the United States government. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the 30th episode of the Blue Grid podcast, and it is with one of the individuals I have tremendous respect for. And I'm very excited to introduce my guest, Colonel Ann Eigel. Colonel Ann Eigel is the commander of the 61st Air Base Group, Los Angeles Air Force Base, California. She leads five squadrons and six staff agencies. She received her commission from the United States Air Force Academy in 1996. She has held assignments at base level, major command, combatant command levels, and the air staff. She served as the senior military assistant for the assistant secretary of the Air Force for Manpower and Reserve Affairs, and has a couple of deployments, and I hope we get to talk about them today. Colonel Eigel is also my commander and was one of the biggest supporters for this podcast. I'm excited you have agreed to participate, and let's start from the beginning. Can you tell us about your Air Force career? Sure. I'm the 61st Air Base Group Commander, as you mentioned. I took over in the summer of 2018, and I've absolutely loved my time here in California, leading the most amazing group of individuals. It's truly a privilege to serve as a commander. I've had the opportunity to serve in command positions for almost eight years, and each opportunity to serve has brought challenges, joy, and experiences that have made me a better person in all I do, from raising my daughters to having to serve as the installation commander during a pandemic. (laughs) I was commissioned back in 1996 from the Air Force Academy, as you mentioned, and I've been a personnel officer for my whole career. I've had 10 assignments over 24 wonderful years in the Air Force. And honestly, I was a dependent for the first 20 plus years of my life. So I feel like I've served in the Air Force for my entire life. Since the day you were born, it sounds like. That's right. (laughs) Meaning somebody in your family was in the Air Force? That's right. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why I joined the Air Force, actually. The fact is that my family has a history of serving. Both my grandfather served, my father and my Uncle John. My dad's dad, who was my grandfather, he flew 25 missions in B-17s in World War II. And later he was in the first B-29 shot down over North Korea. He spent virtually the entire war, that's three years, as a POW. He taught me about grit early in my life. He faced countless physical challenges as a POW. As a child, he would tell me POW stories and I still hear his voice saying, Annie, the guards hung me by my thumbs until I passed out and they'd use needle-nose pliers to curl my fingernails back, similar to opening a can of sardines. Wow. Yeah. My father and my father's brother both served, one in the Air Force and one in the Marines. My uncle commanded a Marine unit during Desert Storm, and my dad commanded the 48th Fighter Wing and retired as a two-star general. So I had examples of leaders with grit right next to me growing up, 
So it was only natural that I decided to give service a try. I surprised my family when I applied to go to the Air Force Academy. This is where I met my husband of 23 years, Chad. We started dating at the end of our prep school year. And during basic training at the academy, I'd meet him at the chapel where he would sneak me bread rolls and brownies that he had taken from Mitchell Hall to bring me to ensure I got enough food because I'm kind of skinny. So, <laughs> But I actually think that I had a head start on most of the other cadets at the academy when it came to grit. Mm-hmm. You know, there is so much in that story that you just told us. Can I explore this a little bit? Because I'm so curious. What was that like to grow up with the grandfather that told you stories that maybe on the one hand are so honorable, but on the other hand, as a child, maybe scary even? Yeah, I loved my granddad so much. And I loved to hear him tell his stories because of what he had to endure. I really think that that helped shape me and helped me decide that the Air Force was for me because I couldn't believe the amazing things that he did in the Army Air Corps and then in the Air Force as well as my dad. They really both served as great mentors for me. You said that you joined the Air Force because of your family roots and you were inspired by your grandfather and your father and the academies when you learned grit. Why is that? I really actually demonstrated grit, I think, at a very young age. One of my most memorable moments is from when I lived in England in high school. I had the opportunity to go to the Soviet Union on a high school 10-day trip. We visited Moscow and Leningrad, which, as you know, is now St. Petersburg. The trip chaperones were smart, and they did not let us have our passports for the entire trip because they knew high school kids would lose them. So on the bus ride to the airport, at the very end of the trip, they handed them out. I put mine on my lap instead of in my backpack and then proceeded to fall asleep. Needless to say, when we got to the airport, I hopped up exited the bus, and then we went and hung out in the airport for at least an hour before we did anything else. They eventually started handing out customs forms for us to fill out, and my heart stopped immediately when I read the first line. Passport number. (laughs) How old were you then? I was in 10th grade, so I was probably 14 or 15 years old at the most. (laughs) Yeah, what was going through your mind? (laughs) Sheer panic. (laughs) So I ran to the window, and the buses were gone. I was there at a time when the Kremlin was starting to crumble and Gorbachev would resign in less than two years. There were riots and it really wasn't a great time for a redheaded 10th grader who spoke no Russian to lose her passport. I remember running up to the English teacher chaperone and telling him the situation. And he said, man, that is unfortunate, but you're going to have a great story to tell someday. (laughs) At that moment, I knew the English teacher was not the right person to be speaking with. (laughs) So I found the ROTC teacher, Colonel Sampson, and he immediately went into action trying to do all he could to get me on that Aeroflot flight. They made him check his luggage, though, and they would not accept my luggage. And it boiled down to him telling me, to sit by a radiator on the floor in the airport with his dob kit and his credit card and watch the clock. I watched all of my friends sadly wave goodbye and wish me good luck as they all departed through security. Colonel Sampson said they're telling him that he had to go get on the flight, so he said he was going to go hide. He gave me a pen and paper, and he started telling me everything I would have to do and to write it down. Go get a passport at the embassy. Go get a visa at the consulate. Get a hotel room as there were no more flights out that day. Use his credit card to buy a plane ticket and pay for taxis, etc., etc. 
it is imprinted in my head still <laughs> to this day. I never cried, probably due to the shock, uh, and he disappeared. The flight was due to take off at 3.45, so I knew that if the clock got to 4.15 p.m. with no sight of Colonel Sampson, that I was on my own. I heard every second of that clock tick. Out came Colonel Sampson at 4.09 p.m., and we headed to the embassy where I had to call my parents and tell them that I lost my passport in Russia and would not be coming home. <laughs> my mom actually fainted. <laughs> it, it was unbelievable. And they had to go to a base function that night, and several people choked with them and told them that they'd probably see my parents' daughter on TV playing tennis for Russia someday. <laughs> yeah. So we had to go stay in a hotel that night, and they put me on the eighth floor, and they put him on the 13th floor. And let's just say it wasn't a very nice professional hotel. We had a code knock. And needless to say, I listened to Phil Collins on my Walkman all night long waiting for that knock the next morning. And I still have Susu Studio memorized. <laughs> we made it out the next day for free on British Airways. They were so kind to us. But the adventure obviously was unforgettable. So how did you get the passport? So I got the passport from the embassy, but that new passport was stamped, issued in Leningrad. But they actually found my old passport. The bus driver actually turned in my old passport. So I still have my Leningrad passport to this day because it used to be that you had to mail your old passports in. But mm -hmm. I kept my Leningrad one since I had the extra one. And let me tell you, the picture is priceless. <laughs> I look like What I stuck my finger in a socket. What a great story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What a great story. I'm glad you're safe and you love playing tennis for Russia. <laughs> yes. So are my parents. <laughs> What are some of your most memorable experiences in the Air Force? It wasn't until our fifth assignment that we started having children, but I have countless memories of wonderful experiences with Chad and our daughters over the years. From Easter egg hunts, to pony rides, to holiday children parties, to flying in a plane with my family at the Aero Club, to meeting the President of the United States. No. Promotion ceremonies have also been amazing memories for me. I'm actually going to be hosting our first base virtual enlisted promotion ceremony later this week due to COVID-19. We aren't letting COVID-19 get the best of us. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be recognizing the amazing accomplishments of our enlisted stars through Facebook Live. So I'm really excited about that. I remember when I was an FSS commander, I promoted six, that's right, six of my officers during one promotion ceremony. Wow. It was quite a sight to see, reciting the oath of office with all six of them lined up. It took up the entire stage, and it was a big stage. I remember I selected one characteristic for each officer to describe why they were amazing and ready for the next promotion. Things like tenacity, passion, motivation and service. It was so much fun, and it was a real honor. My favorite promotion ceremony, though, was hosting a joint promotion ceremony with my husband, Chad, in the Eisenhower Executive Office Building in D.C. He and I promoted a colonel in the United States Air Force. I can't tell you how many people said that Chad and I were going to have to choose who was going to stay in the Air Force and have a career because it'd just be too hard for both of us to make colonel and raise children. Luckily, we didn't listen, probably because we both have grit. Mm -hmm. We have been apart four times during our 20 plus years of marriage, but luckily have an amazing relationship and incredibly resilient daughters. It sounds like it. Wow. 
any other memorable experiences, although you already shared so many, but, but yeah. your career is so full of these interesting examples. Yeah. Well, deployments have been really special to me. Another memorable event for me is deploying to the desert during what became the kickoff of Operation Iraqi Freedom. I deployed to Kuwait three months prior to the start of Operation Iraqi Freedom. I held multiple jobs during the six months that I was deployed there. But what I remember most is that we'd have to put on chemical warfare gear every time Saddam Hussein would launch a missile attack. Luckily, his army did not know what they were doing, so we were never truly in danger, but we didn't know it back then. He launched 17 times in three months, and after the first five, the wing headquarters where I work, they noticed a pattern. Four of the five first launches were when I was going to eat at the dining facility. <laughs> they made a new rule that I had announced when I was going to eat so folks could get their mop gear ready. I'm teasing, but he ended up launching nine of the 17 attacks when I went to eat. <laughs> I also had amazing memories with the Kuwaitis who always showed how grateful they were for our support. I had the unique opportunity to travel with my wing commander to the Kuwaiti general's personal farm where he served a few key leaders from the base, his most honored tradition of lamb brains and hot tea. Of what? Lamb brains. The animal. Lamb brains? Lamb brains, yes. I didn't know you could eat animal brains. I Yes, and it tastes as bad as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> but they were thanking us for the support, and it was an honored Did meal for them. Did you eat it? I had a bite. <laughs> I did. I absolutely did. And they also honored us with a special five-course meal in the Kuwaiti Liberation Tower. They really, they made us feel like queens and kings. Mm -hmm. It was really special. Very cool. You shared a lot of the examples of grit within your family, your family of origin, your own family. What about the experiences of units yeah. that you felt were defined as gritty or having grit? Right. I think one time when it wasn't just me and my family showing grit, but it was an entire unit experiencing a memorable and gritty moment was when I led the 21st Force Support Squadron at Peterson Air Force Base. I was in Colorado during two incredibly devastating wildfires. There, I partnered with all the leaders on base in the local community several times as we assisted Colorado Springs communities with the loss of over a thousand homes through two wildfires. Instead of Colorado weather showering us with snowflakes, we were showered with ashes, literally. It was so eerie and the sky was orange at night from the flames. We bed down over 100 Civil Air Patrol cadets in the fitness center and collaborated with the Red Cross, the local youth programs, hotels, other bases in the area. We even established an emergency family assistance center and hosted a massive support fair. The long hours were nothing compared to the devastation Everyone had to have grit during that tough time. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. What about deployments during your Yeah. Career? So I mentioned the Kuwaiti deployment. Another amazing deployment that I had was to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And that was incredibly different and yet very challenging in its own right. During that deployment, our oldest daughter learned how to walk and talk. I miss both. Mm. Even right now here in L.A., I have missed countless basketball games, recitals, growth spurts. It's so tough, but I am thankful for FaceTime. Skype was relatively new when I was in Cuba, but I was able to do it a few times. And the unique thing about Cuba is that Chad was able to visit me while I was deployed there once at Thanksgiving. So that was kind of special. I lived in a house 
with three Navy officers. I would say it was the most unique house on the base. Why is that? I lived with two psychologists and one psychiatrist. (laughs) Where is this going? (laughs) No, it's good. It's good. These three ladies, they had the toughest job on the entire installation. One was the psychologist for the detainees. One was the psychologist for the military that were working in the camp overseeing the detainees. And then the psychiatrist was the psychiatrist for both the military and the detainees. Mm. I was the Prisco team chief. That was our personnel accountability team. So I had a pretty low stress job. All I had to do is keep accountability of people and ensure folks were properly in processed and out processed off the island. Those ladies, they had to do hero's work. And honestly, during that deployment, my purpose was partly really just to create joy for them. We were there over the holidays, so I decorated the house with things my family sent. I tried to make delicious foods. I just tried to make them laugh and relax from such challenging times and the truly heavy load that they had to carry on a daily basis. They were an amazing group of leaders, and I know they made the Navy proud. Wow. You have some very interesting stories. Do you (laughs) recall any that were just uh, crazy out there? Unfortunately, I have too many, and they often involve critters or creatures. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot wait (laughs) where this is going. (laughs) As the FSS commander at Peterson Air Force Base, I was responsible for over 50 facilities. I don't know if they still have this problem, but back then, we had moths, and they would just show up in the spring. No one knew exactly when. They would just magically arrive one day each spring in mass. Mm. And when they arrived, it was disgusting and disastrous. Mm. The space symposium was occurring at the Broadmoor and the chief of staff of the Air Force was visiting and staying in our lodging. Try as you might for these types of challenges. We put a note in his room stating that the moths could come at any time and were a big nuisance. We did a complete walkthrough the night before and everything looked perfect. Well, who should appear when the chief of staff did? Those pesky moths. <laughs> and I mean, they came out by the hundreds in a matter of one night. It is never good when a squadron commander hears that the chief of staff called the wing commander front office and said, I have 25 dead moths all over my lodging room. You have 15 minutes to get a team over here and solve the problem. Mm. As I said way too many times during that assignment, you can't make this stuff up. Luckily, I had a great relationship with the CE commander, and our teams gathered across the street in the medical group parking lot, waiting to swoop in and clean everything and then cock every nook and cranny we could find. You can plan for just about anything, but it really does boil down to how you react when under attack, in this case by moths. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We did our best, and neither the CE commander I got fired, so I guess we did okay and fought to see another day. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever find out why they came in the first place? They just would show up randomly every spring, and I don't know what the prediction was. We could never figure it out. (laughs) Right. What would you say are some of the toughest decisions that you have to make so far? I want to share a work-related one, a family one, and a personal one. Great. At work, the toughest decision I probably ever had to make was something as simple as inviting a hurt fellow airman into my office. 
I had a military member who worked for me and had the worst PTSD I've ever seen, even to this day. It was so bad that the member was hospitalized multiple times and sent to the best PTSD center in the entire country. They spent eight weeks there. The person had many demons they were fighting, and I had difficult decisions almost daily when trying to manage them from a good order and discipline perspective, but also from a caring human perspective. Mm. A couple of times I sent folks out to check on this individual and even went myself, and I wasn't sure if they were going to be alive. That's how difficult it was. When the member returned from the PTSD center, they asked to speak with me privately, and they were carrying a large black back. I had to make a split decision on if I was going to invite them into my office or not. In that moment, I invited them in. I'm not going to lie, I was scared to death. Mm. But I had to trust that they had gotten the help that they needed and just needed to share something with me. They set the duffel bag down on my coffee table and closed my door. They asked me if they could get some things out to show me. And I said, okay. <laughs> and they dumped the duffel bag out on the table and out poured a journal and 14 bottles of prescription medicine. I know because they counted every one of them. They were finally able to open up with me and share the challenges they were going through, and it was a real revelation for me. They read from their journal, and it was heartbreaking what they had endured. It was early in the Wounded Warrior Program for the Air Force, but I was so grateful that I trusted in that situation because by sharing that moment, I knew what I had to do. My team and I worked tirelessly to ensure the individual was classified as a wounded warrior as they had earned that classification with honor. They'd been through so much. Mm. I learned so much from that encounter on the importance of reading people and that I had to talk more with my people that truly understand what they were dealing with. It was a life-changing moment for me. Mm. In which way? Because of learning to be able to actually read people and know that I had to be able to draw information out of them. Mm. You know, you can't just walk by someone and say, how are you doing? And if you read that there's something wrong, mm -hmm. not stop and say, no, wait, really, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. And I think I was the person who just kept going previous to that and learned from that point on, no, I've really got to stop and just make sure that this person's okay. Mm. A tough decision related to family for me I think the most obvious one is being apart from my family. When I was notified of this assignment out in LA, we'd only lived in Virginia for 10 months. And the girls had done so well blending into the Virginia community and they'd made amazing friends. It took Chad and I five minutes to agree that we'd leave the girls with him. My husband is my greatest hero of all, taking care of the daughters back in Virginia, keeping them safe, focused on school, He's teaching them how to be entrepreneurs now, helping with fitness goals, mm. making them kind and caring individuals who are happy and healthy, all while still serving as a colonel in the Air Force, wow. doing critical things for the Space Force in our nation. Wow. I had an assignment with the girls when Chad did not join us for a year, but I think he's doing so much better as a single parent, and I'm very proud of him. I'm just curious, how is he teaching them to be entrepreneurs? My younger daughter is learning how to sew. He is teaching her how to sew on a sewing machine, and she's making masks now, and she is starting to sell masks nice. in this COVID-19 situation. I started sewing, too, just a couple yeah. weeks ago. Yeah, gotta find a pastime. But you know what? Through all of this, Chad and I had a vote on if we would continue to serve and how we would manage being separated. Our daughters did not. 
they show grit every day. How did those conversations go for you about whether the daughters will stay with you or with your husband or whether you would get out of the Air Force or whether one of you would do that? Yeah, I think Chad realized what an amazing opportunity this was for me to come and be a group commander. And so he was incredibly supportive of the fact that I was going to get this unique opportunity. And so we sat down with our daughters too, and, mm-hmm. and we talked to them about what their thoughts were about this. And they were very supportive too, but they definitely wanted to stay in Virginia with their new friends. Oh, they already made friends. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Do they like LA when they visit here? They do. They love it. They absolutely love it. They're actually dying to get back out here as soon as they can. <laughs> okay. Okay. And then the tough personal decision. You see, I was diagnosed with breast cancer last November. So the tough decision was deciding whether or not to do a single or a double mastectomy. My dad said he thinks the greatest example of grit I've had in my life was in my current position as the commander of the 61st Air Base Group while dealing with breast cancer and having my family support be 3,000 miles away. Mm. I did a lot of research and I had an amazing medical team here in the 61st Medical Squadron and the UCLA Medical Center. I would say I probably bounced back and forth on my decision at least four times on whether I should do a double or a single. I talked to friends who connected me with friends who'd had breast cancer. I talked to family. I talked to other military members who had to deal with the same challenges and decision points. It was actually quite shocking to me just how many people are affected by breast cancer and just don't talk about it. Mm. Now that I've had the surgery, I know I made the right decision and I'm thankful for my husband. You know, we often forget about the caregivers and focus on the victims when dealing with life challenges like this. Chad was my rock. When I made my decision, I knew it was the right one. And more importantly, I knew that he would love me and support me through it. After the surgery, he only found the positives. He made me feel just like I did before surgery, beautiful and loved. And that takes a special person. What was it like for you to learn about cancer? Being told I had breast cancer was really tough. When the doctors came over to my office to personally tell me, I was clueless. <laughs> he had asked me to help him with a recommendation letter, so I just assumed he was coming over to explain what I needed to do and probably nudge me along on the letter because I'd had it for a little while. He told me the day prior that I probably wouldn't know for two weeks about cancer if I had it or not. So it was late afternoon and I hadn't worked on the letter yet. So I invited him into my office and proceeded to talk to him for over five minutes about the letter and what I would do. And I actually felt quite pleased with myself that I had reassured him of my plan. He was so kind and patient. And when I finished, he said, thank you, ma'am. That's great, but that's not why I'm here. Unfortunately, I'm here to let you know that you do have breast cancer. I'm not gonna lie. He took the wind out of my sail. Rather than grief, I went straight to shock. Uh, I literally just told my boss an hour earlier that I wouldn't know anything for at least two weeks. The doctor was amazing and assured I was okay. It was late in the afternoon, so everybody had already left the office except my secretary. I couldn't reach Chad at first, so I told her. And she was also amazing, telling me not to worry that I could and I would beat it. I emailed my boss and he instantly called me. We had a major Air Force Association ball that night and he was so supportive saying, 
I could come or not come. And he was there for me if I needed anything. Do you tell him everything? I did, yes. I had instant support. I was going to visit my family the next day for Thanksgiving week, and I decided it was best to go to the ball to keep my mind off of the bad news. Honestly, I don't remember anything about the ball. (laughs) What I do remember is everyone from earlier that night, including Chad and my parents, who were 100% behind me. And that love and support made me think, I got this. (laughs) Mm. Having to continue to lead and stay positive out here by myself, it was pretty tough. But thanks to the amazing support, I did it. (laughs) I would say, though, by far the toughest moment I've ever had was telling my daughters that I had breast cancer. Mm. My husband and my parents were in shock, yet they were so supportive. But it took me time to get up the courage to share the news with my daughters. The whole family came out at Christmas, and I didn't want to affect our holidays, so we agreed we'd keep the holidays about family and fun and wait to tell the girls. So I went back to Virginia over Martin Luther King holiday weekend in January and had devised a plan to tell the girls. To this day, it's by far the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I will tell you that the Air Force has resources that can help you through tough times like this. And the military family life consultants were a godsend for me. I described each of my daughter's personalities and they helped Chad and I lay out a plan for how to share the news and support them during a difficult time. That's amazing. Yeah. I sought advice and prayers from others in the Airmen and Family Readiness Center and the chapel team and tons of friends and family. And when it was time, I still struggled to get the information out. I admit, I cried. What do they recommend? What do they say based on their personalities? They said that it was important to be very honest with Mm -hmm. them about the situation and to explain the unknowns, but to stay very positive and to offer up that there were other resources that they could use if they had questions or that we could answer questions for them. Mm But they really helped me come up with a whole script. So I went in with, you know, a piece of paper, (laughs) listing out all the things that I wanted to make sure that I talked to them about. And Chad really helped me get through that process. So while I was only visiting for four days that weekend, I mean, sure, we did a lot of fun and goofy things for the rest of my visit to make it positive and show them that I was still happy and that I was a fighter. I also had to decide if I was going to tell the airbase group because I was going to disappear for six weeks. Mm-hmm. And it was a tough decision, and I did it for two reasons. The first is, honestly, it served a little bit like therapy for me, just to help me internalize what was happening. But the real reason I shared this with my entire group was because I learned from this experience the importance of medical screenings. The military has an expectation that we maintain readiness, and one way they enable that is by ensuring that we have the opportunity to complete annual medical screenings. I wanted to make sure that everyone understood that that annual medical screening saved my life. Mm -hmm. My family had no history of breast cancer, and if I had elected to blow this off, who knows what would have happened. But because I completed my screening, we caught it early, and here I am. I think also a story like this one humanized you Yeah, in the eyes of everybody. And I don't know how you were able to be both a commander and deal with this medical issue and continue to be gritty like you are. (laughs) Thank you. So impressive. And thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. And switching gears a little, 
to where we are today, which is in the midst of pandemic. Do you have any good story about dealing with pandemic or being in the midst of pandemic? So my story of COVID-19 is different than most. I had my cancer surgery in early February of this year and was lucky enough to have my husband with me for the first three weeks before he returned to Virginia to take care of the girls. I came off convalescent leave on 17 March. And by 26 March, I was declaring a public health emergency for Los Angeles Air Force Base. Mm. You want to talk about going from zero to 300 mm-hmm. percent fast? Mm-hmm. I went from sleeping and watching TV seven days a week <laughs> to working really long hours seven days a week to assure the health and safety of our installations. We had to develop plans for everything from potentially taking passengers from cruise ships to planning for potential cluster breakout in housing. Luckily, neither have had to be put in action yet. I've been sending emails out to the base every weekday because I believe in transparency. That's a very important quality and trait that I look for in leaders. And it's so important, especially when times are tough. And so I want to ensure everyone has the latest on policy, key events, opportunities, and resiliency tools to help them manage life during this difficult time. And do you have any words of wisdom for dealing with this ambiguity during COVID-19? I remember as a kid, my dad always said, life is tough, but it's tougher if you're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And in this pandemic, my counsel to airmen is to follow CDC guidelines religiously. (laughs) Also, we all have to have grace during this difficult time. Mm showing goodwill towards others, especially those who you live with right now, it's more important than ever. What guidance would you provide to airmen who are struggling with loneliness or boredom during this difficult time? I have lots of thoughts on this one. The first is if you're feeling down, go for a walk or a run. The outdoors can be your best friend right now with proper distancing, especially as we roll into spring. Exercise is so important when dealing with depression and boredom. Also, you got to keep the competitive and the creative juices flowing. I FaceTime with my family every single day, and we often play Scrabble. But the game board is in Virginia, and I keep losing. (laughs) I somehow keep ending up with all the vowels. I wonder why. (laughs) I'm also... Some unfair disadvantage. (laughs) Yeah, it, it totally is but my family will deny any such thing. (laughs) I'm also working on a puzzle right now. I ordered it from Shutterfly and I designed it with lots of photos of my family. So it's a lot of fun as the pieces come together of our past memories. You got to cherish the time with your family as you never know when that time might be gone. You can't take it for granted. I also think now more than ever, time management is something we can make a focus item. I read to my younger daughter each night over FaceTime. And right now, I'm reading her a book called The Phantom Tollbooth. Mm. In the second chapter, we're introduced to the Lethargians. That's a made-up word. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, all day long, all they do is they nap, daydream, dawdle, and delay. So then in the story, we meet the watchdog. And the watchdog reminds the main character how important it is to stop killing time and to start thinking and doing. All of us can do that by setting goals and checking things off, even if it's simple things like do laundry, go on a run, and listen to Sunday church service over FaceTime with your family. 
remember, we'll get through this one day at a time. And I truly believe we're going to prevail together. What a wonderful answer. Time management, time with family, don't be lethargian. That's right. Practice grace. (laughs) How do you develop grit? You have to have exceptional determination despite setbacks and failure. For those in the military, it's not just limited to combat situations, but it applies to people who've experienced personal challenges. So you have the example of my granddad who was a POW or like me fighting cancer. But if you have a passion for what you're doing and you set goals when faced with roadblocks, you'll develop grit. Gritty people use the three H's to get by. It's something I've lived by my whole life. Honesty, humility, and humor. These characteristics ensure that gritty people stay grounded and keep things in perspective. Instead of getting mad or bitter, people with grit, they just get better. Mm. It's easy in difficult situations to get bitter. It's much harder to get better. What are the ingredients for grit now during COVID-19 when the ingredients are limited? As I think about that one, I think about my mom. You know, she always taught me the importance of purpose, attitude, and gratitude. Everyone has to have a purpose. You have to find your purpose, whether that's helping others, creating things, making others happy, or just staying connected with your family, friends, and coworkers. You have to help others find their purpose and make them feel valued. And you have to do it with a great attitude. Positivity is infectious. Who doesn't like a smile and a good laugh? Finally, my favorite, but the one that may surprise you is gratitude. During COVID-19, we have more time to contemplate and remember what is important to us. And part of that is being thankful and gracious. It's important to remember the blessings we have in our lives. For example, I am so grateful that every time I FaceTime with my family, I hear my daughter singing because she has such a beautiful voice. Mm. And I'm grateful for the letters that I receive in the mail every single week from my other daughter with a joke of the week. Gratitude's so important that it's one of my guiding principles. I gave the 61st Airbase Group a mascot when I took over. I made us the Knights, and I assigned a guiding principle to each letter of the word. And my favorite is the G in Knights, which stands for gratitude, because I always try to be gracious to others and be grateful for the things and experiences I've had in life. Is there anything else that you would like to add that I'm not asking you today? Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. First, thanks for giving me the opportunity to share some of my life's moments that have made me grittier. As I get ready to wrap up an amazing career, I made a part of the Air Force different than I had originally imagined when it comes to a retirement ceremony and celebrations because of COVID-19. But you gave me this gift of sharing my story. I'm so proud of all of the amazing accomplishments that my units and personnel have achieved over my time in the Air Force. I've really enjoyed mentoring others, and I hope that I've made a difference in a few lives over the 24 years of service that I've given. Family has kept me gritty my entire life. So a special shout out to my family, my husband's family, and especially Chad and the girls. All of them made me a better daughter, mom, friend, and leader. I sincerely appreciate every single person that's helped me achieve greatness. And all I wish is that everyone stays healthy, happy, and safe. What an amazing interview, and that's a gift for me. Thank you so much. This was a superwoman 
Colonel Ann Eigel, the commander of the 61st Air Base Group. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> this is your host, Major Anya Fedotova. Thank you for listening to the Blue Grid podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed this interview. My goal is to air the narratives of courage, vulnerability, and crit to normalize the airmen's own challenges and help them internalize the message of hope and recovery. This discussion is not a formal medical advice and any techniques, treatment, diagnosis, or alternative actions discussed are not a recommended treatment or course of action for all listeners and are not a replacement for professional medical assistance. You are encouraged to seek medical or psychological help for your unique issue. If you have feedback, please find me in the global. My email is anavfedotova.mil at mail.mil. It's anna.v.fedotova.mil at mail.mil.